And if that's true, then I think Jesus would have just one question for us. What do you want? Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Luke. I get to serve as one of the ministers here at PCC. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're with us. We hope to meet you here face-to-face soon. Um, as most of you already know, this week, the Supreme Court announced a landmark decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, which means that for the first time since 1973, the authority to determine abortion policy has been released down to the state level. Now, that's a big deal. That's going to mean a seismic cultural shift in our country. So, As your pastor, could I just give you a few guidelines on how we're called to respond to this as followers of Jesus? Would that be okay? Okay, very good. Now, and would you pray that you have the open-mindedness and the humility to hear what God has to say on this matter? Would that be all right? Interesting, less of a response to that one. Okay, Uh, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, So listen, as followers of Jesus, we know that every human life deserves dignity from the womb to the tomb because our God is a God of life. Scripture says that he knit us together in our mother's womb, that we were fearfully and wonderfully made in his image from the moment of conception. The Bible says that when I was still an embryo inside my mama's tummy, that that every single one of my days was already written in God's book before one of them came to be. And so that means that we rejoice that this decision means that hopefully millions more children are gonna get to experience the breath of God in their lungs as a result of this. We praise God for that, unequivocally. Now, that being said, in response to this, can I give you two things that we are going to do and one thing we're not going to do? Would that be okay? All right, let me start with the one thing that we are not going to do. We are not going to spike political footballs, okay? We're not gonna spike political footballs. And here's what I mean by that. Um, One of the most harmful things that has happened to the American church over the last two decades and to our witness as followers of Jesus is that we have become identified as a voting block. That means that when most people outside of the church think of Christians, they think of a slice of the political pie. Now listen, that's, politics are not inherently bad. I'm thankful that we have good followers of Jesus who are bringing their faith to bear in the political arena. I have friends who are politicians. The Bible says we're supposed to pray for our leaders in that regard. Praise God for them. But Jesus did not say that the world we will, will know that we are his followers by how we vote. Jesus said that the world will know we are his followers by how we love. So that means that we're not gonna spike political footballs here. That means in your conversations, that means in your interactions, that means even in your tone of voice, that means, here we go, on the things you post on social media, okay? This means that in all of those things, we want to have an undercurrent of love. We're gonna stay away from partisan triumphalism because when we engage in that kind of rhetoric, what that does is it spoils our witness And it creates a bad taste in the mouths of the people out there who need the good news of Jesus and the hope that we have to offer. We are not going to spoil the name of Jesus by how we talk, okay? We're not gonna spike any political football. So listen, we have people in our church family who've been deeply hurt by this issue. We have people in our church family who have ended pregnancies. We want this to be known as a place of grace and mercy and compassion and love, 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 love. So just think before you talk. Imagine a young man or a young woman who's made some bad decisions and they're in a really tough spot and they're struggling to know what to do and they need somebody to talk to. 
Imagine that they heard the way we talk in these hallways. Imagine they saw the things that you posted online. Would they see those things and hear those things and think, yes, this is a safe place that I can come into the light and they will help me? And I pray that through the love of Jesus, by the grace of God, the answer is always yes. We're not gonna spike political footballs, okay? Now let me give you two things we are gonna do. Number one, we're gonna roll up our sleeves. This is a call to get to work. Roe versus Wade is a monumental decision, absolutely, but it's not a finish line, it's a starting line. The fact of the matter is, we have a lot of young people in our country who get into situations where they think abortion is the only option left, and that is tragic. And so we wanna work as the people of God to remove all of the factors that will lead them to that place. And we wanna be a church that puts our money where our mouth is. We don't just say pro-life, we live pro-life in every arena. We want you to be that person. That's why I'm gonna be unashamed about asking you to give to the work that is going on here because the work of God is happening here. So give your talents, we want you to be serving here, and give your money. The money you give here does go to support life centers in our area that counsel people during the difficult and darkest days of their lives and show them the hope that Jesus has to offer. And we as the church are doing the work of God here week in and week out to meet people on their hardest days and show them that yes, God is still good and he still has a plan for you and we're gonna walk with you every step of the way. So roll your sleeves up, it's time to get to work, okay? And number two, we're gonna roll up our sleeves and we're gonna hit our knees. We believe this is an answer to prayer and we believe God has a lot more he wants to do and he hears us, he listens, and he responds. So we're gonna pray together. I'm gonna get down on my knees right now. I'd like you to pray with me. You don't have to get down on your knees, but you're welcome to if you wanna join me. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we love you so much. You're, you're just good, Lord. And we believe you're at work. Um, you're a good father. We thank you for adopting us into your family. And God, we, um, your word tells us to lift up those who are in authority over us. And so we lift up to you our leaders in the political arena. We ask that you would fill them with your wisdom to make the right decisions. We ask that you would even bring your kingdom to a degree through them, that you would use them to restrain what is evil and promote what is good in all things, to promote justice and mercy. Father, we ask for places like life centers and crisis pregnancy centers that are there on the front lines meeting people when they feel hopeless. We ask that through them, you would work to bring life and healing and hope to young mothers and young fathers who are scared and young children. Father, we, we thank you um, for the people here among us. Um, God, I pray that you would even bring more among us. That, that for my brothers and sisters who are hearing the sound of my voice right now and they are feeling hurt and maybe even they have ended a pregnancy and they carry deep guilt and shame over that. For those who are hearing the sound of my voice and they are faced with a really difficult situation and they feel like there's no other option left, we're asking that you bring them into our path and that you'd enable us as the people of God to speak your hope and your truth and your life to them and to show them that in you there is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Father, as our nation um, becomes increasingly divided state by state as this has now been pushed down to that level, we ask that as the world is increasingly divided and in conflict, that we as your people would be increasingly unified in love, showing the world what it looks like, that even though we have different backgrounds and different experiences and different opinions a lot of the time, we are united through your blood. We thank you for this, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Well, we're continuing our series today called Still True, where we're talking about some of these simple building block truths that we get to build our lives upon. A lot of us learned them even when we were uh, little kids. And in case you didn't see it on the video today, um, today we're talking about how sin is bad. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Now, um, when some of you saw that, that sin is bad, you might've just thought like, 
Duh, <laughs> okay, like I get it. And, and others of you, even when you saw that word sin pop up there, it's an automatic turnoff. And if that's you this morning, I want you to just hang with me, okay? Just hang with me, we'll get there. Um, I heard the story of a man who went into the doctor's office. He said, doc, you gotta help me out. I'm just having these raging headaches. I don't know what to do. The doctor said, okay, well, let's run through some diagnostic questions and figure out what's at the bottom of this pain you're having in your head. He said, well, do you, uh, do you drink? The guy said, drink, I've never touched this stuff. Doctor says, okay, well, do you, do you smoke? <laughs> Disgusting, doc, absolutely not. Doctor said, okay, well, I mean, this is a little embarrassing, but do you do any running around late at night? He said, what, 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 what kind of man do you think I am? No, I'm in home and in bed every night by 10 o'clock at the absolute latest. The doctor said, okay, and, and, and you said this is a really kind of sharp, stinging pain in your head, right? The guy said, yes, absolutely, I already said that. And, and the doctor said, okay, well, um, I've, I think I found the solution to your problem then. The problem is just that your halo's on a little bit too tight. You just need to loosen it up a little bit, and I think you'll be fine. <laughs> So listen, as, as we talk about this topic of sin today, I'm looking around and I'm not seeing any halos in the room this morning. I don't think, yep, there's my wife. You, got, you still got yours, baby. Your, yours, yours is doing fine. The rest of these people, though, no halos in the room today, all right? This topic of sin, this is not a topic for uh, just an abstract concept for the theologically inclined. This is not just a self-righteous exercise for the super spiritual. This is not just some kind of happy-go-lucky Hallmark card Christianity that loves the mountaintops of inspiration but has never gotten acquainted with the valleys of the shadows of dark desperation. This is not a message for the tearless or for the fearless or for the complacent or for the uncomplicated This is a topic, and this is a church for people like me whose halos fell off a long time ago. Um, This message today is for you if you don't have it all together. This is for you if you are tired, if you are burned out, if you're beat up, if you're burdened by the toil and the struggle of trying over and over again to become who you thought you were supposed to be by now. This is for you if you are willing to be honest about how unsteady and how inconsistent you are and how weak and how frail your faith can sometimes be. This is for you today if you don't have it all together. This is for you if your confidence is bruised, if your prayers are stagnant, if you're disappointed sometimes when you look in the mirror at who you have become. This is for you if you're weary of pretending and you're ready for something deeper. And this is for you if despite all of that, you could dare to hope that there's a God in heaven who could possibly pick up your halo off the ground, dust it off, and make you new again. So, as we prepare to hear from God's word today, I wanna do something a little bit different with you. And we're gonna have just a couple moments of silence, and then I wanna pray a prayer together as God's family from the man named King David back in the Old Testament. King David... um, his halo fell off, he didn't, he didn't have a halo, but, but God did look at King David's life and he said, that guy right there, that's a guy with a heart like mine. And I don't know about you, but I want God to say that about us. And so we're gonna pray one of his prayers here in a moment. But before that, I'm gonna give you a few moments and we're just gonna be silent together. We're gonna let our souls catch up with our bodies and then uh, I will begin to read and I want you to read out loud this prayer with me.
Would you pray with me? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's read that one more time. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And all God's people said, Amen. So let's talk about sin. What do you say? Here we go. All right. Now, many people today, they would debate even the existence of sin. Like there is no absolute right or wrong. There's no objective truth there. And, and there's a lot of well-intentioned people I know that hold that view philosophically, but I don't know many who can actually live that out experientially. If you held the view that there's no such thing as real right or wrong, and I went and I punched your mother in the face, my guess is that view would fall to the side, right? It, it's easy to hold up here. It's harder to actually live out in the day-to-day. So I think for most of us in the room, that's probably not in the case. I think most of us, would not deny the existence of evil in the world. You can go ask, a, go ask a police officer or a foster parent or an oncology specialist or a social worker if evil exists because they have seen it, right? But for most of us, um, the problem isn't whether or not evil exists. It's just that it's easy to see the evil out there and it's harder to see the evil in here. That's the problem for most of us. Um, there's an author by the name of Alexander Solzhenitsyn And yes, I did practice that name all week. Um, and, And he said this. He said, if only there were evil people somewhere committing insidiously evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who's willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? You see, the problem with evil is that it's not just out there, it's in here. The seeds of the same evil that led Hitler to do what he did, the same seeds of that evil are are in me. Anger, a distrust for people who are unlike me, a desire for power and a willingness to control people to get it, yeah, that's in me. Um, Author G.K. Chesterton one time was asked by a newspaper to address the question of what's wrong with the world? And Chesterton wrote back, he said, dear sirs, I am. It's in here. God tells us that the greatest danger is not actually outside of us, it's, it's inside of us. And the evil that is inside of us, God calls it sin. Now the Bible word for sin, it actually just means missing a mark. It's like you have a target and you just didn't hit the target. And, and that's because God is good, like we said last week. And God is good. Everything that God made is good, which means that God made us good. And the plan that God has given for our lives is good. And so we have failed to hit that target. That we have all looked at God's good plan for our lives and we've said, actually, no, God, thank you, but I'm gonna do it my own way instead. We have missed the mark, whether it's through pride or greed or lust or laziness or anger, and and those things, they may not seem like big deals to us, but Jesus would say differently. He'd say they actually are a big deal because the target that Jesus gave us to hit leads to peace and life and joy and love and satisfaction and, and hope, and so if sin is missing that target, then that's a big deal. And now I understand why Jesus talks a lot about sin and why we have to talk about sin. You see, Jesus takes sin seriously because he takes you seriously. 
He cares about you. That's why he takes sin seriously. And that's why, like we talked about last week, God's wrath is actually a part of God's goodness. That God has wrath against sin because he knows that sin leads to guilt and to corruption of social systems and to dysfunction in family dynamics and to distance in relationships between you and other people and between you and God. He knows that sin leads to enslavement, to destructive habits and to addictions and ultimately even to death. Sin is bad, Jesus knows that. So then for the sake of the discussion today, let's just assume that we all agree that yes, evil exists both out there and in here. And if that's true, then I think Jesus would have just one question for us this morning. And it's this. What do you want? What do you want? In John chapter one, there's these two young men who've been followers of a prophet by the name of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's job was to get people ready for Jesus. And so when Jesus does finally show up on the scene, these two guys decide they're gonna go check Jesus out. And here's what happens, John chapter one. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Before you can follow Jesus, he's gonna ask you, what do you want? Later in John chapter five, Jesus and his followers are walking through the city of Jerusalem and they come across this man who's, who's lame. He's been unable to walk for 38 years and Jesus has the power to heal this guy. But before he heals him, John chapter five, verse six says this, says when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I mean, it seems like an obvious question, right? And yet I think we all know what it, feels like to be comfortable in our brokenness to a degree because it feels safe and familiar, right? And so before Jesus can weed the evil out of our hearts, he's gonna ask you, what do you really want? And here's why that's the question. Because we are driven by our desires. We are driven by our desires. And maybe I'm the only person like this in the room, but I don't think so. I think that all of us have a gap between what we know and what we do, right? Here's what we believe, and yet here's, here's what I actually live. For example, like I know that sweet tea is not that good for me. And I know that I'd really love to lose about 10 pounds. And yet, I can't stop drinking sweet tea. Anybody else been there before, right? There's a gap between what I know and what I actually do. Like, for example, let's say that uh, you came to church one Sunday morning and you heard this really convicting, powerful, informative sermon by somebody who's actually, you know, a good preacher, a different church. Just imagine it hypothetically for me, okay? Um, and, and, you go, and you go back home and you're like, wow, I, I really learned. I was really challenged there. I'm gonna be different now. And so you wake up on Monday morning armed with your new knowledge and you think, yes, okay, today is the day I'm going to be different. But be honest, by Tuesday, we've slipped right back into the rut of the same old habits, haven't we? Because there's a gap between what we know and what we do. Just getting a few more nuggets of information isn't enough to change us. The problem is that our desires are misaligned. For example, imagine you have two boys who are playing Little League Baseball, and they're both really athletic. Now, this boy, on the other hand, boy number one, he plays and he practices, and he stays after practice and takes extra swings because he has watched the World Series. And he's seen the team lift that trophy. And he thinks, 
I wanna lift that trophy someday, wearing the jersey of God's team, the St. Louis Cardinals. And, <laughs> and, and he watches their games and he listens to them on the radio and he knows all the stats, right? He's in it. Now imagine this other kid and, and he plays and he practices and he stays after practice and takes extra swings because he's trying to make his parents happy. Which kid do you think is gonna have the long-term lasting success? It's because we're driven by our desires, right? Um, our hearts will chase after what they want. If you've ever been in the swimming pool and you try to hold a beach ball down underwater, you can do it, can't you? You can hold that beach ball down underwater. You're strong enough to do that for a while, but that beach ball is not gonna stay stable, is it? It's gonna keep kind of fishing around. It's gonna be slippery. That beach ball is gonna wanna slip up past your hand and pop up to the surface because that beach ball doesn't wanna stay underwater. It wants to float, right? And that's like our hearts. Yeah, you can, you can muscle up. You can, you can grit your teeth and hold your heart under there for a while, but eventually your heart is gonna chase what it wants. Your heart is like a heat-seeking missile on a relentless hunt for pleasure. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Pay attention to what it is that your heart wants. That's why when another time in the Gospel of John, one of Jesus' friends betrays him and Jesus like forgives him. He's, he's reinstating him. And in the process of reinstating this friend, his name was Simon Peter, um, Jesus asks him a question in John 21. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus could have asked a lot of questions right there. He could have said, now Simon, what do you know now? What have you learned through this whole experience? What do you believe, Simon? Are you willing to sign this contract of loyalty and allegiance to me? No, he doesn't ask that. He says, Simon, do you really want me? Do you love me? What do you want? Now, it may seem like we've wandered a little bit from the topic of sin being bad, but bear with me because I think this whole idea of chasing the desires of your heart, this is at the root of all of it because I believe that sin, the evil inside of us, is born out of a desire to want things other than God, to seek satisfaction for our desires in things that will ultimately betray us. Um, so what do you want? For example... If you want to be seen as successful, that could lead you to being a workaholic, to chase the promotion and the resume. It could lead you to greed, to acquire the things that you think successful people had. It could lead you to jealousy of other people who appear more successful than you. It could lead you to putting a ton of pressure on your kids to conform to whatever that ideal of success is in your mind. If you want peace. That could lead you to telling little white lies, doing anything it takes to absolutely maintain the peace. Uh, yeah, I've, I've read that book. No, uh, she's not home right now. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's get together soon. No, honey, that outfit looks great on you. <laughs> if you want to feel strong, that could lead you to a lot of sexual dysfunction. If you want to feel loved, you could spend your life bouncing from relationship to relationship, whether it's romantic or just a friendship of people who make you feel good for a little bit, but they're not committed to you and so they're gonna leave you when things actually get messy. If you want comfort from your pain, 
maybe you'll just keep on shopping and filling that Amazon cart because it feels good every time you get something new, even though you're going deep in debt, or you'll keep eating, or you'll keep drinking, or you'll keep logging onto that late web website late at night when you're alone just to try to put a Band-Aid on your heart. If you want to be in control, that could lead you to really struggle with anger or apathy or anxiety when it feels like things are beginning to slip through your grasp. So what do you want? Because if you aim your life towards something other than God, um, that's what the Bible calls idolatry. That's just a big Bible word that means worshiping something other than God. It means chasing something other than him to fulfill you. That's why the very first of all the 10 commandments is this. Exodus chapter 20, God says to Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God doesn't say that because he's arrogant. He says it because he knows that he is what's best for us. He says, worship me, chase me, desire me, want me because anything else will destroy you. Um, in a graduation speech, a commencement address at Kenyon College, there's a guy by the name of David Foster Wallace. And he gave this speech about this very topic. Now, David Foster Wallace, he has no theological agenda here. But take a look at what he says. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice is what we get to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some intangible set of ethical principles, the benefit of that is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you find real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own mod body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, he says, we, we, we know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths and proverbs and cliches and parables, the skeleton of every great story, the trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. And I think he's right. Because the great irony of all of this is that idols feel good for a while, right? Chasing other things does come with a hit, but it ultimately will let you down every time. A new car, new shoes, They feel awesome, but they make terrible gods. (laughs) Relationships are great and life-giving, but they make terrible gods. Friendships make terrible gods. Women make terrible gods. Men make terrible gods. Children make tyrannical, terrible gods. (laughs) (laughs) A court of Baskin-Robbins 
can give you five minutes of moose track heaven, (laughs) but it makes a terrible God. And goals are helpful, but they make terrible gods. The best experiences, the best retirement, the best sex, the best relationships, the best wealth that this world has to offer can only provide you a fleeting moment of pleasure. And then when it's past, if you've been chasing it to meet the desires of your heart, you will only find yourself left wanting more and it will let you down. Nobody ever got rid of an itch by getting really good at scratching. So what do you want? What do you want? Let's pause right there. I think we need to pray our prayer together again. Would you pray this with me? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So, so far, if we can admit together that yes, there's evil out there and there's evil in here and it all results from these disordered desires, that's bad news. But the good news is that with God's help, we don't actually have to get rid of our desires. We just get to re-aim them toward the one who will give us life. Um, Psychologists will tell you um, how much of our lives we just kind of live on autopilot, that most of what we do is just habit. In fact, some say that only 5% of what we do on any given day is a deliberate, conscious choice. And you know this from experience, right? Think back to when you first started driving and you were nervous, weren't you? You had to think about every step. You're like, okay, sitting up straight. You're like, move the seat back up, click it, you know, click it or ticket, 10 and two, the whole nine yards. Like every time you push the gas or the brakes, every turn of the wheel, every flip of the blinker, it, it was all in there, wasn't it? It was all conscious. And now, if you're anything like me, like you go out to your car and you head home from work and you're thinking about like a conversation you had that day or whatever you were working on and all of a sudden, whoa, you're in your driveway and you had no idea how you even got there. Am I the only one who does this? It's crazy, isn't it? But the good news of that is that through some deliberate conscious choices, we can build habits that will shape our hearts. The Bible says that ironically, if you wanna reshape your heart, you gotta just retrain your body and your mind and your heart will follow along with it. Paul says it like this. He says this stuff over and over again. Romans chapter 12, Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Colossians chapter three, he says, we actually have a choice in what we think about. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Second Corinthians chapter 10, he says it's like a battle going on in here. You gotta take ground. He says, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Here's what he tells us to focus our minds on, to aim our hearts. Philippians chapter four, Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If you wanna re-aim your heart, we gotta retrain our body and our minds through intentional spiritual habits, and this is called the process of spiritual formation. Spiritual formation it's the process of how your heart is shaped by, by what you read and think and say and do and see and hear. And spiritual formation is not an optional thing for like elite Christians, okay? It's happening to you right now, just like bodily transformation is happening. Your body is constantly changing based off of what you put into it. And so is your heart. So with the things that you are putting into your mind and your body and your heart, are those things leading your desires toward Jesus or away from him? For example, 
Let's say um, a woman came up to me and said, I am in love with my coworker. And he's married and I'm married and I know I shouldn't, I know it's wrong, but I just can't help it. Well, I would want to very gently say, actually, you can. You can help it through some wise, intentional spiritual habits. Um, If you begin to ask the Holy Spirit every day to reset the desires of your heart, if you begin to love and to serve your husband the way Jesus would want you to, no matter whether or not he deserves it, if you sit and you listen to the stories of women who've lost their husbands through infidelity, if you look those children of those families in the eye, your heart will begin to follow. And this is good news for us. And that's also why the process of following Jesus, it's not a legalistic thing. These things are not things we do to like check off a list or something to get ourselves into heaven. It's just a matter of putting the right habits in place to shape our hearts to want Jesus more. That's why it's so important that you're coming here every week, that you make this habit as a family. Because we spend our whole weeks out there getting pulled in a thousand different directions, don't we? And so we come here every week to have our hearts reoriented toward the God that we were made for. This is why it's important that you're in a group here, that you're in a community of real friendships of people who help make you more like Jesus. This is why it's important that you're volunteering and you're serving and you're using your gifts here to serve other people because that draws your heart out of focusing on itself. This is why it's important that you make a habit of giving financially here because that will be gasoline on the fire of your faith. This is why it's important that you're growing in your relationship with Jesus through being in his word and in prayer every single day, asking God, what are you saying to me and what do you want me to do in response, because all along, as you do those things, little by little, day by day, you will find yourself wanting God more, and your heart will change. And only God is the one who can change us, right? We can't do it, he can though, that's the good news. Um, But if we're gonna re-aim our hearts together, every day we throw ourselves on the mercy of God and we say, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me. Test my anxious thoughts, lead me in the way everlasting. And the good news is that even though we're never gonna get to be fully perfect this side of heaven, we're all still in process. The good news is we get to do it in grace because all of the work necessary to save you from the evil inside of you has already been done. That's not to say God shrugs off our sin like it's no big deal. He doesn't do that. It's an incredibly big deal. The evil inside of me is what led to the downfall of the world. It was such a big deal that God had to send his son Jesus all the way down here to live the life that I couldn't live. He lived the only life that was completely free of evil in history and yet he died to pay the price for you and me to rescue us from our own rebellion against him. And that's good news if you're feeling guilty today. Um, There's an author by the name of Rebecca Pippert who tells a story of an interaction she had with this guilt-ridden woman who just couldn't believe that God could possibly forgive her from her sin. She says this. She says that uh, through tears, the lady explained that before she and her husband were married, they'd started sleeping together. And every time they did, she felt guilty because she knew it was wrong, but they still didn't stop. You know, that head knowledge wasn't enough to really change their hearts. And so eventually, they found out they were pregnant. And by that point, they were engaged. The wedding was coming up. She was terrified what would happen when the church found out that she'd gotten pregnant before she was married. She thought she'd be ashamed, that she'd be looked down on for the rest of her life, and so she decided to abort the baby. As the woman sobbed to Rebecca Pippert, she said, you know, my wedding day was the worst day of my entire life. Everyone in church was smiling at me, thinking of me as a bride beaming in innocence, but all I could think was, you're a murderer. I know what you are and so does God. You've murdered an innocent baby. 
I know the Bible says that God forgives all our sins, but I've confessed this sin a thousand times and I feel, still feel such shame and sorrow. How could I murder an innocent life? And when she heard that, Rebecca Pippert took a deep breath and she said, I don't know why you're so surprised. This isn't the first time your sin has led to death. It's the second. And that's the uncomfortable truth that we're sitting in together this morning. That's my story. My sin, the evil in me, killed somebody. That when you and I threw our halos on the ground and lost our innocence a long time ago, it cost Jesus his life to pick it back up. And he made the greatest exchange in history. He took the evil from us upon himself and he gave us his perfection instead so that now you and I get to do life in this community where we are a place of grace, where we are just beggars at the door of God's mercy and we get to tell our stories and rejoice in how good he has been to us. We get to desire him together and we even get to delight in the good gifts that he gives us. We get to delight in food and in friendships and in family and in work and in play and we get to delight in those things without needing them to fulfill us, without worshiping them, but letting them lead us to a deeper gratitude for our good God, the same God who has dusted off our halos to show the world that no matter how bad our sin is, his goodness is always more. And all God's people said, amen. So as we close today, um, I want you to know the prayer team's gonna be gathering around the perimeter of the room for the remainder of the service. They've got their green lanyards on. Man, if you need to step into the light, if you've got some brokenness, some guilt, we would love to just speak the grace of God over you and pray for you. If you have anything going on in your family or in your world or in this church that you wanna pray for, they'll be there throughout the remainder of the service and after the service. It would be our honor to just get to know you a little bit and to hear your story and to speak God's truth over you. And as we end today, would you mind just praying this prayer out loud together with me? This is a prayer from the Apostle Paul. He's another guy with a broken halo, and he said this. Let's pray this together. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship our king.